tell you a story, and, and it's, it's kind of a sensitive story. I mean, I kind of kicked around going, oh, do I even tell this? Because um, it's kind of a PG-13 story, you know? And, but it, it just illustrates the point. When I was, when I was a high school guy, uh, my parents were divorced, and so I spent uh, some weekends occasionally at my biological father's house. Now, my biological father never had a lot of money. He was never well off. Uh, he was an alcoholic, spent a lot of his money on, on things like that. Um, and so he always lived in uh, either rural areas or when I grew up in Killeen, he lived downtown Killeen, kind of in the, the low socioeconomic poor and kind of shady portion of town. Now, I know like when you guys go to Killeen, you think like the entire city's shady, which it's pretty close, but there are some shadier parts than the shady parts. And so it wasn't odd for me to be at his apartment and look out the window. And I mean, as I wasn't odd, it was a regular occurrence. You'd see people on the side of the street doing drug transactions and things like that. It was just downtown. That was the way it was. There was also an area where there were prostitutes around. It um, wasn't uncommon. And, and one, after, one evening, I was staying with him for like a Friday night or a Saturday night, and uh, there's a knock on his door, and he opens the door, and I'm doing something else, and somebody comes in, and I realize, and, and I'm, like, I'm like a sophomore in high school, and I don't even know what it is. It, it is a, a prostitute from the street down below. And I'm thinking like, my, my mom's not going to like this, you know, like if she hears this story. And I'm like, I'm like, what is going on? It's like six o'clock. It's about dinner time. And, and it gets even weirder. And again, this is a sense that I'm not trying to make jokes. Or like this. It just was so weird for me because this lady, I'm not, I'm still to this day, not absolutely sure she was a lady. So, I mean, it was like, I'm like in bizarro world. And as my dad introduces me to her or him, like I said, I'm not sure. I'm like looking at my dad like, what is going on here? You know, like this is illegal on like so many different levels. And what I found out was this. My dad had befriended this person because during the winter, it was very cold one day uh, outside, it was snowing, ice, sleet type thing. And my dad made some coffee and started making mugs of coffee and taking it down to the people that were standing out on the street. And they had become friends. And there wasn't anything illegal or shady going on in this moment. It was just a person stopping by because somebody had shown love before. But I'm sitting there, and I've never forgot it for multiple reasons. One, because it's a crazy, weird <laughs> experience to have. But two, my biological father, he's passed away now, but he was not a believer. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. I was as a high school kid. And I remember I, that this indelible moment because I'm looking at this guy who doesn't really care about Jesus or things that Jesus doesn't read the Bible, doesn't do those things, but he's showing love to somebody that the rest of the world, the rest of that community would call unlovable. It was a person that nobody cared about. And here's this guy who not because of Jesus, just because of a morality, I guess, inside of him, stepped out to love. And I've never forgotten that because I, I, it was this, this Holy Spirit moment where, where God went, you know what, if he does that, Without me, how should you live and how should you love with me? I've never forgotten it. It's something that stuck in my mind. One of the things we're, we're talking about tonight as we close out the series is this. If you live like Jesus, if you're going to really live like Jesus, you're going to have some relationships with people who don't believe like you believe. That's just the truth. 
If you're going to live like Jesus, we're going to see this in a passage here in a second. If you live like Jesus, you're going to have a relationship with people that don't believe like you believe. They're not going to do what you do. They're not going to act like you act. They're not going to talk like you talk. And it's going to create, or possibly more than likely will, create some tension. There's some problems in your life. One of the things that's going to be at stake is your reputation. If there's some people at school, you know, we ask you to pray about what class God would choose for you to make your eight. Some of you might have picked one and, you know, it was easy. But some of you got one, you went, man, God's called me to this class and this is the one I'm intentionally thinking how to love. And there's a person in my eight who's a quote unquote bad person. It's a person that I don't think would ever come to church. I mean, I, I, the only reason why they'd come to church would be like to burn it down or something like that. You know, and you're like, oh, why did God, why'd you call me to this? They're a person that I don't connect with. If you start loving that person and you start spending time with that person, your reputation may change because we, we are identified by other people, for right or for wrong, by the people we hang out with. Let me give you an example. On Friday nights, and I, I love high school football. I love high school football more than I love the Longhorns and more than I love the Dallas Cowboys, which is hard to believe. And so I love going around. We go, a buddy of mine and I, we go all over uh, Texas watching football games on Friday night, but we always go to at least a Georgetown game, an Eastview game, and if we have another student that's playing, uh, if they're playing at Round Rock, something like that, and they say, hey, I'm playing, and we're going to go to one of those games to see them. But there's one game I'm never going to, and it's this Friday, and I'm never going to the Georgetown Eastview football game because for me, I'll tell you what, because for me, it's a lose-lose situation because here's what happens. When I walk in, I got to make sure like I'm not wearing blue or I got to wear like green, you know, I, because somebody's going to go, oh, you're with, you're cheering for them. And I've had people say, well, why don't you go spend half time on one side and the other half go the other side? I said, because what, you know what's going to happen? When I walk into that gate, someone on the other side is going to see me going over there. They're never going to see me going to the other side. And they're going to have this thought, oh, he likes, he doesn't like our school. He likes that school. And it's not true. People have said, you know, I've lived here a long time now. And they go, when you have connections, you could probably sit up like in the box area. I'm like, yeah, but you still have to walk up one side stairs to get to them. Somebody's going to go, hey, look, oh, yeah, he's on that side. And so it's like, I'll come watch you guys anytime, just not when you play each other. Because I don't want to be identified with just one side or the other because I don't want my reputation to be he likes that school better than this school because I don't. In reality, the school I cheer for is the Killeen Kangaroos, Rude Dog. I mean, that's. That's my team. I don't know why we said Rude Dog. That's what we did. It makes absolutely no sense, but that's what we did. That's my team. I want Georgetown Eastview and all your schools. I want you to win every night. Unless you play clean, then I hope you lose 100 to nothing. I mean, but I want you to do well. I just want you to lose because that's my team. So I'm not going to identify because I don't want my reputation. I don't want our youth ministry to become a, a, an Eastview youth ministry. I don't want it to become just a Cedar Ridge youth ministry, which would be hard, that's round, but we want, we want it to be everybody. But you're going to have that possibility that you're going to go hang out with somebody, somebody sees you next to them, they make choices that are the best, and people are going to start asking questions, and unfortunately, they're not going to come to you to ask the question. They're not, it would be great if they came to you and said, hey, I know you've been hanging out over here, and I know this crowd kind of does stuff, but you're, you're, not, you're not walking away from Jesus, are you? They're not going to ask you, they're just going to go ask your friends. And that's how rumors get started, and it's a terrible thing, but that's how it works. And unfortunately, it's not supposed to be this way, and you better not be the people doing it. It's usually Christians who start attacking other Christians, backbiting them, going, oh, so-and-so's hanging out with them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not supposed to be that way, but if you're going to hang out with people and love people, 
that believe differently, you're going to risk your reputation. You're going to risk trust with your parents. And you're in the stage of life where you're becoming more autonomous, meaning you're, you're coming to this point of life where you're becoming an adult. You're, you're wanting to make your own decisions, have your own freedoms, have some responsibilities. And your parents are trying to figure out that give and take there. And all that is based on trust. The more, the more your parents trust you, the more freedom you get. It's usually how it works. But all of a sudden, they start hearing rumors of you're hanging out with so-and-so at school and the other parents have heard from their kids that that person's kind of shady. All of a sudden, your parents are going, well, I don't know if I can trust them. We went to sixth grade boot camp this year. We went to Blazer Tag for part of the day. And we walked in, and, and I'm at first, and sixth graders come behind me, and, and the lady meets us, and she opens the door, and she's like, hey, I'm your a Blazer Tag host. My name is Isis. And I didn't mean to say it. It just slipped out. I went, well, that's an unfortunate name. And she, like, didn't know what to say. And I was like, well, I tried to play it. I was like, well, it is. I mean, but Matt, I mean, like, really, like, if you, went to, if you were my child and you came to me and said, hey, I'm going to hang out with somebody. And I'm like, well, who's this new person? Went, oh, I just met her. She works over that place where they shoot people. Her name's Isis. I'm going to be like, time out. <laughs> time out, son. Time out, daughter. Rewind that and talk about this a little more because I don't know who this person is. Their reputation, what you just told me, leaves some question marks for me. And I'm kidding. I'm sure she's a nice girl. It is unfortunate that she was named that, though. But, you know, I've told you this before. You know, we have police officers down front for your safety. I have friends who have churches, and luckily I have here that I know of. They have the same thing. They have police officers here, and their parents have come to them and said, if you have students involved on a Wednesday night that requires a police officer to be outside, then we're not letting our children come to your Wednesday night event. It hasn't happened here. It's happened to friends multiple times. Because they go, oh, that person is questionable. I don't want my child hanging around them. You risk that. You better be very upfront in your communication with your parents. If you're going to love people who believe differently, act differently, and, and do things differently than you do. But the scariest thing that you risk, the tension in there, is temptation. Because everybody wants people to like them. We all want to be loved. We want to be accepted. And in this time of stage of life that you're in, it's kind of heightened. It's like on steroids. And as you start hanging out with people and you become friends with them because you're loving them and they're different than you, and they start saying, hey, well, why don't you come do this? Why don't you come be a part of that? Then you kind of get to say, I don't want to say no because then they won't like me. I won't be their friends. And all of a sudden, the temptation level rises because you've loved some people who believe differently than you believe. That's, that's something you've got to wrestle with if you're going to live like Jesus did hard my brother and i and some guys we a big ufc fan i love mixed martial arts and i had a friend that years ago in georgetown owned a restaurant and it was a restaurant bar down on the square in georgetown and he would buy the ufc fights that cost like 55 bucks or something like that 65 dollars which i'm broke i can't afford and he said hey you can come and watch them and we thought man that'd be great let's go a couple of us guys and we're gonna go and we're gonna get to know some other guys that love mixed martial arts and we're going to build some relationships with some guys. We're going to love some people that are outside of our comfort zone. They're outside of our youth. All my friends are like in our youth ministry. We get some friends that, that don't believe like I believe. My oldest brother went with me one time. Now, my brother, oldest brother, he's been sober for about seven, eight years. This was early on. He'd been about sober for about a year or so. Um, had a long life of drugs and alcohol that God brought him out of. But he goes with us to that event and... and and we're watching the fights, and there's people around. Well, there's lots of alcohol and things around. And for him, that was a huge temptation to go love people 
who were different than him, it was hard for him. He had, to, he had to back out at that point. He said, I can't come do this. Now, for me, alcohol's never been a temptation to me. Growing up with an alcoholic father, didn't ever want a part of it. So I can go to that, uh, where that bar was and watch the fight and meet some guys, have my Diet Coke and my fried pickles. I mean, I was good, you know, but he can't because the temptation was too high for him to be around people who believe differently. Now, could he today, eight, nine years later? Yeah, he could. But at that point, he couldn't. You got you to realize that. There's going to be some difficulties if you live like Jesus lived and start loving people and building relationships with people who believe differently than you. I want you to look in the Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 9. I want you to see this because our, our other option, if we don't live like Jesus lives, is just to huddle up with just Christian friends all the time. And we, we kind of make, live in this Christian bubble and we never know anybody else. And really, we don't become salt and light like Jesus calls us to be. But I want you to see this passage in Matthew 9. I'm going to read it and I'm going to backtrack to it, talk about it. And then I'm going to give you some things to overcome these obstacles we just talked about. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, or some Bibles say Levi, same, same guy, just two different names. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, in the house behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's go back and kind of just see what's happening here. Jesus is why, and, and Matthew is a Jewish man, okay? And that's, this is very important. Jew, Matthew's a Jewish man. He actually is the one writing this story in the book of Matthew. He's a tax collector. So what that means is he's a Jewish man who works for the Roman government because the Roman government runs the entire land and they collect taxes from the Jewish people. Now, what we understand the way that Matthew made a living was doing something probably like this. He went up to Allison. He said, Allison, your taxes, the Roman government, I know, and, and Allison knows her taxes are $100. And so he'd go, hey, you owe us $120. Because 100 is going to go to the government, 20 is going to go to me. And if she says, I'm not paying that, he calls the Roman soldiers to arrest her for not paying her taxes. So here's a Jewish guy working for the Romans who run their country. The Jewish people don't like the tax collectors because they look at them as like traitors to their own country. So Matthew has very few Jewish friends. And he doesn't have a whole lot of Roman friends because the Roman government looks down. He's just like a hired hand. He, he, he's just one of the people that they, that they rule over. He's not hanging out with Rome. He's got... Only friends he has are the down-and-out friends. Now, freeze that so you know that's happening. Now, here's the other thing. Jesus is a rabbi. And Jesus, the way the, the rabbinical tradition worked is Jesus and all the other rabbis would have people, disciples, who would want to come follow them. It would kind of been like college. And so you tried to, you tried to hook up with a certain rabbi, and there would just be a certain limited number of spots. And, and so if you got in, then your family helps, helped subsidize that rabbi's ministry. Well, as Jesus rolls around, he comes up, and here's Matthew, who missed out on all that. He's got a great paying job, but nobody likes him. He doesn't have any friends except a bunch of guys that are like him. And Jesus, the teacher, this is a very, very important moment, very socially accepted, great position. Jesus comes up, and Matthew doesn't say, Jesus, could I quit what I'm doing and come follow you? Could I come be one of your disciples as you go around? Because that's too prestigious. Matthew just sits there and walks by, and Jesus stops, and he's like, Matthew... Come follow me. 
It's like Harvard walked up to you, or even better, Howard Payne came to you and said, hey, Caitlin, you're enrolled. Let's go. Let's start class right now. And Matthew's like, I'm in because my world has just changed. And so Matthew goes and he and Jesus and the disciples, they go to Matthew's house and they have this party. And scripture says in verse 10, Jesus reclined to the table. That, they, the way that happened in those days is they ate like on a low t- table by the floor and you, and you sat on the floor and kind of leaned back and you ate. So this is all that's happening is they're having this dinner party. But it's all Matthew's friends who are all down and out people. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not socially acceptable. They're seen as sinners. They're the bad people. And as they're doing that, the Pharisees, the religious people, the church folk, they look in and they're like, why is this rabbi, why is this teacher of great influence hanging out with these guys? I mean, he could be hanging out with the social elite. And if he didn't want to hang out with the social elite, at least just go spend time with like the good common people You've chosen the dregs of society to hang out with. And the Pharisees, they can't figure this out. Why would you do that? Because it's going to mess up your reputation, Jesus. Nobody's going to listen to you. You hang out with these low lives. Why would you do that? Hang out with the good Jews who worship God, not the sinners and the tax collectors. It makes no sense to them. And then I don't know what happened, but they started asking the disciples. And in, in verse 11, no, verse 12, it says, but when he heard it, I don't know how Jesus heard it. I don't know if the Pharisees worked their way into the party and they were overheard. I don't know if the disciples came back and like said, hey, the, the Pharisees are talking. Maybe Jesus used his God powers and heard. I don't know what happened, but, but Jesus catches on to this and Jesus makes this statement. He says, those who are well have no need of, of a physician. I mean, you ever been to a hospital just to hang out because you were bored? No, it makes no sense. And when I was in college, I was in this car wreck, to save you all the details, I was in this car wreck, and it was pretty bad, totaled my car, um, it was bad enough that when my dad came and saw the car, my mom was left behind, and, and I'll never forget this, he said, he said, I'm really glad your mom didn't come, because she would have, like, she'd have lost it, because the way that car looked. So he said, hey, I want you to go to the hospital, I want you to go checked out, get checked out. So I go to the hospital, they check me out, they go, hey, you're fine, but just for precautionary, we want to give you, we're going to give you this uh, foam neck brace, I got a picture of a guy, that, that obviously that's not me even though we dress about the same. Uh, I had one of those like foam neck braces. And they're like, here, you need to wear this for the next several weeks. And I'm like, I am not about to walk back to college, walking around looking like this guy. And so I'm like, yes, sir, doctor. And I walk out, take it off, throw it in the back of the car, never to be worn again. I didn't even want to go to the hospital when I should have gone. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody wants to go to the doctor. Even when I needed to, I didn't want to go. And Jesus makes this point. He says, listen, nobody goes, or the doctor's not here for anybody but sick people. And Jesus making this point to the religious leaders, you expect me to go hang out with all the people who are well. I came for the people who had great need. I came for the people who were spiritually sick. That's why I'm hanging out with them. And then look what Jesus says in verse 13. This is hard. These are harsh words. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's from the Old Testament. Here's the deal. All those religious leaders knew that. That was not it. They didn't go, oh, say that again. Let me write that down. As soon as Jesus said it, they went back to where they had read it multiple times in the Old Testament, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Where God says, I'm less concerned with you showing up on a Wednesday night and raising your hands and singing, and I'm less concerned about you giving to an offering to help people in need as I am about you having mercy with people that you're sitting next to in class. If you want to come and worship 
and you want to tithe, and you want to serve, but you want to act like a jerk to the people that sit around you at school? You don't want to love them? Jesus says, you know what? Keep your money and keep your prayer. I would rather you love the people around you, have mercy on those who need mercy, than come and, and, and bring me worship. Because you bring me worship. You show love to me by loving people. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he says to these Pharisees, he says, go and learn what this means. Basically, he's going, you guys, you know it, but you don't know it. You need to go figure it out. So I'll leave you with this, and we're going to talk about, real quickly, before we run out of time, we'll talk about how do we overcome those obstacles. But guys, I'm going to tell you right now, if, you're not, if you don't have some relationships with people that are far from God, that believe differently than you, you're not walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus' reputation took a hit. Jesus wasn't the most popular people because he decided that he was going to love people that needed to be loved. And maybe God's put you in a desk in a school and strategically placed somebody else by you because he's calling you to be Jesus in their life. And it may be hard. And it may be difficult. And there's going to be some obstacles along the way. So I want to give you three things that you can do that you need to do in order to love people well. And the first thing is this. You've got to be spiritually disciplined. We talk about this a lot. You've got to be spiritually disciplined. We talk about spiritual disciplines. The ones we talk about most often, the easiest ones, is reading this Bible, understanding what God's Word says, understanding how God wants you to live. It's contained in this book. Bible reading and prayer. Having a conversation with God on a regular basis. Prayer, Bible reading, very easy spiritual disciplines. That's how you begin to grow. If you've been a Christian since you were like seven and you're not any further along than you were when you were seven, it's probably because the only time you read your Bible or prayed is when you came in this building. If you work out one day a week, you're not going to get strong. Spiritual disciplines happen all the time. Scripture, pray, and then you go to that next level and you start doing things like serving and you start, going, and you start worshiping. You come in here and you don't just sit with your hands crossed because you're afraid of what people think about your, your voice or what you, you don't care. Because you care about what God thinks about you. And now you're practicing the spiritual discipline of worship. And you start memorizing scripture as a discipline. And as you grow even more, you start doing things like fasting and meditating and practicing the discipline of silence. There's tons of these spiritual disciplines that help us become like Jesus. And if you're going to live like Jesus, love people who need to be loved, love people who believe differently than you, and avoid the pitfalls of a reputation, you do it by being spiritually disciplined. Because the more spiritually disciplined you are, the more you look like Jesus. And so here's what happens. If you're an immature Christian, you haven't been growing spiritually, you're not practicing spiritual disciplines, you start hanging out with some people who are a little bit questionable, the rumors start. Because they don't know. But you know what? If you're on campus and you're living, you're in the, you're in the Word every day, people, you, you pray, I mean, God's beginning to grow you, people take notice. You... You memorize scripture and all of a sudden you're talking to people and scripture comes off your tongue because you've memorized it. People notice. And then when you, who looks like Jesus because you've been disciplined in the spiritual practices, are hanging out with people that might be a little bit questionable, your reputation doesn't suffer because you look like Jesus. And they just assume, oh, he's just or she's just loving them. But you got to be disciplined. And, and, and that word, discipline, it is, it is hard. Every discipline is. My brother... If you come to worship here at 11 o'clock, a lot of times he leads 11 o'clock worship. And a phenomenal guitar player. All through junior high, every day he played that guitar. When I was 
in my 20s, I decided I wanted to learn the guitar. He bought me one, gave it to me. I started trying to practice. I'm, I, I played the guitar for about three hours, and I sold the guitar because it made my fingers hurt. It was hard. I didn't even know how to strum, and I was like, I'm done. <coughs> and he was like, man, you can't just quit now. You don't learn to play a guitar in three hours. He said, I spent years. And yeah, my fingers bled too, but now I have calluses from running the strings. And my, I, I built up, and now I am good at it because I was disciplined in it. I just didn't want it. God called him to lead, called me to preach. We got a good tag team going. But it's gonna, spiritually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. There's going to be some blood. There's going to be some sweat. There's going to be some hard times as you learn to grow spiritually. Here's the second thing you need. You need to grow spiritually, get those disciplines in, and you've got to, you've got to have accountable relationships. Talk about this a lot, and I, I will until you graduate, because it's a core of what you need, friends who love Jesus like you do, friends who can help keep you accountable. When you start hanging out with them, and they go, hey, you want to go out to the party this week? And you're like, well, yeah, maybe I do. A friend goes, no, you don't. That was the bad idea. Wrong answer. You're going to love them, but you're not going to, to go the wrong direction because we're going to be there together. You know how one way you find that? We, we try to help you with that. On Sunday mornings, we put small groups down this hallway so you can gather around with people your age so that you can build relationships so that when you come to an event, there's somebody else you know. Let me tell you something. If you are in small groups on a regular basis, let me tell you what your job is. And it starts today if you haven't done it already. Your job is to be the friend to the people who don't know anybody. So that if they're in here tonight and they show up on a small group or they show up at a great pumpkin hunt or they show up at a winter retreat and they step out of their comfort zone and they go, I don't really know anybody that's going, you are going to be there and you've already invested them. You've already known them because you're going to be the person who's going to be an accountable relationship for them. And one day you might just need them. So if you're a leadership track student or you're somebody that's involved, your job isn't to come and just hang out and talk. Your job is to help other people build relationships that will help them love people better because you help them be grounded. You help them stay connected to Jesus. Here's the third thing. The last thing is this. You've got to be, un- be intentional in your unaligned relationships. Now, that sounds weird, but I use this word unaligned for a reason. Paul, if you read the New Testament, Paul uses this word called unequally yoked. He talks about relationships. And he paints this picture of, uh, uh, in relationships of two oxen, one bigger than the other. And he says, you can't do that because when the oxen start pulling the plow, if one's bigger than the other, everything messes up because they don't go in a straight line. Havoc's created. But you and I don't use oxen, at least that I know of. So I use this idea of this, this term unaligned because some of you drive cars. And if your car needs an alignment, if your tires need an alignment, what it means is, is they're, not, they're both not straight. And you got to take it into Midas. you got to take it someplace and they align the wheels so that it goes straight. Well, here's what happens if your wheels are unaligned. If you need a tire balance. If you take your hands off the steering wheel, your car will start drifting one way or the other a little bit. If that happens, your, your wheels aren't aligned. Now, if you take your hands off the wheel and you just let it go and you start drifting, sooner or later, usually sooner rather than later, you're going to wreck. It's going to be a crash. The way that you avoid that is by being intentional. You grab a hold of that steering wheel. And you, you adjust that steering wheel so you can get your car to the shop. It's the same thing in relationships. If you're in an unaligned relationship, you're chasing after Jesus. These people aren't. And you're loving them. And you're spending time with them, which you should be. If you're not intentional, 
If you don't keep your hands on the steering wheel, if you don't go, hey, I'm here to love them like Jesus loves. I'm here to be Jesus in their life. I'm not here to get my self-esteem from them. I'm here to bless them, encourage them, lift them up. If you're not intentional about that, you take your hands off the wheel, you'll crash, you'll burn, you'll wreck because it's an unaligned relationship. Be spiritually deep. Start that now. Have accountable relationships. Friendships that are walking with Jesus to help you and be intentional about the people that you're loving. I'm going to close with this story. Do some announcements real quick and bring these guys up for boxes. If you've got to go, it's 8.15. I totally understand that. You won't hurt my feelings. If you've got to go, if you've got five minutes, we'll finish. Two guys several years ago, one's guy named Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell was a very conservative preacher from uh, the Virginia area. And I mean, like if you ever heard the terminology of the religious right, that was Jerry Falwell. Super conservative. There's another guy named Larry Flint. Larry Flint was the owner of a pornographic magazine company. Two guys, alternate sides of the world. And they would travel and speak. I put a picture of them up from like a CNN debate. Now go back up to that picture. Go back one. Larry Flint's on this side. Falwell's on the other. Two guys. One's a believer. The other one's not. One preaches to people every Sunday. The other one sells pornography. And they would debate. They'd travel around and debate about pornography and morality. I'm going to read you a quote from a, a, an excerpt that, that Jerry Falwell's son said, but one day at the end of one of their debates, they were someplace, and Larry Flint didn't have a way back home. His airplane had been changed, something like that. And so he goes to Jerry Falwell, who had a private plane, and said, hey, could I fly back with you? And Jerry Falwell said, sure. You guys, they're not friends, really. I mean, they're, they're two totally different people. They don't believe alike. And they get on the plane, they fly back, and Jerry Falwell's son, Jonathan, is sitting on the plane, and he's listening to these two people who he's watched debate talk. And they talked about sports, and they talked about politics, and they talked like lifelong friends. They drop Larry Flint off where he goes, and Jonathan is with his dad, Jerry Falwell. And I want to read this to you because it's just, I didn't want to try to say it. He says this. He says, after we dropped off Mr. Flint, I asked Dad, how come you could sit on that airplane and carry on a conversation with Larry Flint as if you guys were lifelong buddies? Dad, he's the exact opposite of everything you believe in. He does all the things you preach against. And yet you were treating him like a member of your own church. Why? And here's what his pastor father said. He said, Jonathan, there's going to be a day when Larry is hurting and lonely. And he'll be looking for help and guidance. And he's going to pick up that phone and call someone who can help him. And I want to earn that right to be that phone call. That'll preach. I want to earn the right to be that phone call. I want to love people who believe different than me because Jesus called me to. And if you're going to live like Jesus does, you're going to have some relationships with people who don't believe like you believe. And that's a good thing. But be spiritually deep. Have those accountable relationships and be intentional in how you love people. And you'll be okay. Pray for us. A couple of announcements. We're going to play boxes. So the guys that won boxes, y'all come on up while I pray. God, guys, I, as, as men and I are starting to learn how to love our neighbors well, God, I pray that you would help me when I come across the neighbors that don't believe like I believe, that don't talk like I talk, don't raise their kids like I raise mine. God, help me to remember that those are the people that you loved. Those are the people that you came to spend time with. Help me to be that same person. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.